Welcome to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week we are going to talk to Jeff Van Remortal, JVR, and he's up in northern Wisconsin. And I don't have a co-host. It's just me and JVR talking. So we're going to skip the intro today. We're just going to jump right into the conversation. But if you are looking for gear for your next musky fishing adventures, make sure you check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. We are your source for, well, we used to be your source for only custom stuff, but we have pretty much everything you're looking for within the musky industry. If you want the latest and the greatest small batch baits to the biggest names in the musky industry, we have them, TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. And I'll still go over Musky Mayhem Tackle since Brad or Carrie is usually in on this podcast. They are the uh, founders with me. And you can check out Musky Mayhem Tackle at MuskyMayhemTackle.com. And they are the original big bladed flashaboo baits. So if you need anything to do with blades, go check them out. I know they have the new mini grenade and that bait has been on fire in many cases. So if you haven't used one, make sure you check it out. Speaking of the mini grenade, Jeff, is that a bait that you've played with at all yet this year? Yeah, actually, we did quite a bit of action on it. We didn't land any fish on it. We threw it a fair bit um mixed in there when we had some of those fish deep out of the mud early in the year and we moved a good number of fish on it we did have a couple of rips lost a couple of fish on it but um i mean we didn't sink a tremendous amount of hours into it and the hours we did sink in were productive so it's a good bait i really like that i was really i was really psyched to see the mini one come out this last year yeah i was buying that 100 percent. the big one is awesome but for northern wisconsin and a lot of other places probably that more moderate size is a little bit more appropriate especially seasonally and i think it's an excellent bait absolutely I think they could actually go even a little smaller yet. Yeah, I really, you nice. know, I was just going to say, if they could cut it down even like, you know, another like third in size and just, just kind of, yeah, absolutely. I'm sure well, they're probably already working on it. Who knows? They're always up to something over there. Wouldn't but I do think it would be an awesome, uh, an awesome one, especially again, the early season mud bite. When those fish are keying in on some smaller stuff, some smaller, uh, some smaller uh, prey items, uh, you know, that's a really great, great, great way to match the hatch. And there's a lot of people that catch fish, uh, you know, trolling, trolling walleyes and all that kind of stuff that early season and having something that gets down and runs the way that that bait does uh, would be, uh, I think, a tremendous advantage. So, Jeff, you know, we haven't talked to you. In fact, I haven't hardly even talked to you on the phone at all. <laughs> it's been a busy, it's been a while, man. It's been busy. It has been, which is good. I mean, I think that's... Yeah, oh, not a complaint. Yep. Right. Welcome for all of us. But I haven't hardly talked to you, and the last time we did talk to you on a podcast was over the winter. We had you on a bunch of those, um, you know, the panel discussions. And previous to that, I don't know, I can't even think when the last time we had you. So let's catch up a little bit. You know, we're full bore musky season. What do you, uh, what's the story up in northern Wisconsin? How are things going up there? How's your season looking? It's great, man. We're we're locked firmly in summer peak right now. Uh, in my opinion, that's it's probably about the easiest time of year to catch muskies, if that's a thing. As far as like predictability, you know, your stable summer weather, you get your defined windows, you get the bigger fish are on the feed. Everything's way past the spawn and all the other you know little little hurdles that you have to go through. You know, earlier in the year that post spawn and weed growth and all that stuff. All that stuff's maxed out. It's at summer peak, which is a man. It's just a great time across the musky range. So yeah, life is good, man. A lot of big fish moving, good fish hitting the net, and uh, it's been a great year. So if people are looking to get on the water right now, like what are you seeing? Where are these muskies hanging out? Are you fi- finding them off weed edges? Are you finding them on rocks? Are you finding them out in the middle of the lake? What's the story? <clears throat> well, you know, it's, it just depends where you're at, right? But uh, this time of year, there's probably more literature and more more musky info that's been produced and made during this time of year, whether people are aware of it or not, just because of, like I said, the for lack of a better word, the simplicity of the patterns 
you know, the main lake weed point, the main lake weed bar, your mid lake weed humps, your main lake wind wash rock, all the stuff that you associate with. Hey, that looks like a pretty good musky spot. When you look at a map, this is the time of year that that stuff uh, really shines. Uh, not that there's not fish there else t- other times of year, but everything's fully developed. And it's, uh, if it looks good, fish it kind of conditions. And uh, again, you know, all hail the summer peak. We love the summer peak. All right, Jeff. So you talked about information and all that stuff that kind of made me think of it. Musky Academy. Is everything going all in well with the Muskie Academy? Yeah, man, it's been tremendous. We've had uh, a lot of big fish caught, a lot of nice numbers of fish. Got a couple of young guides in there, a lot of good number of tournament fishermen in there, and everybody's been doing really well. We've had some really great results from our users um, in hearing that feedback and, you know, seeing the pictures inside of our members-only group. And I posted a few on Facebook, but it's honestly, it's been a little bit too much to keep up with. Um, but it's awesome. You know, I throw a lot of stuff on the story from time to time. But having that, that group conversation inside of the inside of the uh, members only facebook group for musky academy as well as uh, access to all those videos uh has been a really tremendous help for folks and we've uh, we've actually just wrapped up finishing i don't know we've got at least another 35 to 40 videos that we just finished filming those will be coming uh, active here in the coming uh, later in the year here when we when we make more videos or when we uh, set it up live but there's a uh, there's a lot of information in there and uh, it's been really awesome to hear the hear the reviews and, and hear that it's helping people catch fish and the best way for people to join the Muskie Academy is? Very simple. Muskie with a Y, academy.com. Sign up takes 30 to 60 seconds. You can sign up right there. And uh, once you're in, you'll have an immediate access. I'll send you an invite. Track you down on Facebook. That's where the members-only group is located. So if you don't have, you may have to make a burner account. There's a handful of people that aren't in there. Um, but, I mean, the, the product was made, you know, just with the sole use of the videos in mind. But the Facebook group in, in and of itself has also turned into its own entity. So really something you want to take advantage of if you sign up for the program it's definitely been a huge uh it's really great too man you've seen these guys tying in and fishing with each other and, and getting to be buddies and stuff it's really it's really been awesome so yeah musky academy with a y musky with a y academy.com sign up takes about 60 seconds and you're in you can access all the videos 24 7 online offline through the app it's uh it's something set up that you can listen to while you drive while you're cutting the grass while you're on your way to the lake it's not something you necessarily have to watch there's some videos in there with some good visual stuff certainly a lot of that really good media information is set up in a way in small consumable bites that you can uh, get your head in the game for the time of year, type of lake, and type of program you're setting up for just on your way there and get psyched up and get your head in the right space. You know, Jeff, one thing I want to talk about is water temperatures. I'm amazed with all the warm temperatures or all the warm weather we've had this year, how the the water temperatures seem to just be consistently around 75 like everywhere up in the north yeah is that what you're seeing yeah northern wisconsin we we're all you know there's a lot of that every year this time of year it gets to be kind of a you know hot topic no pun intended you know the guys down the madison area there i know they ticked up into the well into the 80s for a bit there but you get a cool night or two and you get some of that stuff trending downwards you know even though places tend to start coming around and it can create some tremendous windows uh, quite frankly, the fish really respond positively to that. And uh, yeah, but as far as up north, you know, I can't really speak to down there too much because I'm not there a ton, but or much. But my home waters up north, we it really hasn't been an issue. You know, you get a couple of streaks of hot days. Yeah, so maybe you don't go fish a, a coffee-colored lake with a max depth of 15 feet. You know, there's other options. So you get the super hot, you know, conditions. You, know, you can always avoid that. There's always so many nice deep clear Cisco lakes and stuff that are going to be there we can barely get to the bad water temps if we tried our best uh, you know nine and a half out of ten years or maybe even more you know so really can't complain there water temps are great wheat growth good fish are eating as musky anglers that's what we're looking for you know <laughs> yeah. jeff let's talk about that because you brought up clear water 
and let's just say, for example, like Clearwater, you're vacationing, you're staying on Clearwater, and you get a day like today. Today for me was flat, calm, and sunny temperatures up in northern Wisconsin. You know, what do you recommend for anglers that run across that stuff? You know, so that flat, calm, and sunny, it really depends on what time of year. You know, even right now, though, during the summer peak, especially coming off of, you know, I think I think a lot of people struggled for the first, you know, two months of the season here. And I, you know, you kind of see it reflected on social media, reflected in, you know, the, the anglers that come through my boat. Like, you know, when people are catching, you're hearing about it, I guess is maybe the way to put it. And, of course, people are catching some fish, but it's always the, all of a sudden now it's like, oh, there's muskies everywhere. Everybody's got fish pictures and it's all good. But that earlier time frame with that fast warm-up earlier this year, it really hampered. I think a lot of those normal bites um, for folks, you know, the blade bite really didn't get going very well in our, and again, now I'm speaking more towards just simply, uh, you know, the northern half of, say, Wisconsin, and, and I think certainly other places in the state and across the range as well. But I think a lot of that stuff, it just wasn't really going the way it has been in years past because of that extended warm up that occurred early on in the year. And then you had, you didn't really have the growth, the weed growth to match, you know, the weed growth to match those water temps that you would normally associate with, oh, the water temp is, is say, 70 degrees. And this is where I go when it's, you know, that kind of thing. It's just that stuff didn't exist, right? The water temperature kind of preceded the development of the structure and uh, and therefore the arrival of, you know, the bait that uses the structure and the muskies that eat the bait that are around the structure and so on and so forth. So a lot of that stuff uh, was a little bit behind, and now that things have stabilized, um, even those sunny, flat, calm days can still be pretty good. Obviously, you want to watch your moon windows. And, uh, you know, that day cloud arrival that I talk about so much, um, you know, in the academy and seminars and all the other places, you know, that mid-morning cloud arrival and how to take advantage of that. You want to make sure any little environmental change, I mean, maybe that's just a better example of a little environmental change versus just its own individual thing. But uh, anytime you get those little those little things that happen in those real stable days, you really want to be paying attention to make sure that you're on a productive spot, um, that you uh, at least have a high high uh level of confidence that there's some fish using you know a big fish or at least multiple fish or or you know whatever the game plan is that you're pursuing for the day so really watch out for your minor your minor uh minor weather changes be out there for your moons um it really is kind of musky fishing in its most basic sense and there's you know like days like today for us on the water today you got outside a moon the fish didn't want anything to do with you you got in the moon boom they were moving okay you know literally today i was talking to my customer in the boat and we had, uh, you know, run about two hours, three hours without seeing a fish. The morning started off pretty strong. We had some hot fish come in and moved some really good ones. We were chasing some big fish today. And, uh, you know, Gibbs was getting the moon, and he's kind of getting tired and ready to sit down. And so was I, you know, kind of had a little bit of an earlier start than normal and just trying to take advantage of that early morning moon that was today for our moon window. And because uh, it's been pretty tight to the moon windows the last couple of days, at least for the pattern I've been on. You know, it wasn't, it was, uh, it wasn't five minutes into the start of moon. And he raised about a 47, 48. So um, it was just kind of funny how I was like, oh, well, yeah, yeah. I just kind of happened to look as far as Bucktails. Like, oh, speed it up. Here he comes. You know, and he's like, oh, geez, you know, right there. He's just kind of, you're just sitting down and like, well, we're going to be fishing through midday moon here. And then we're going to get off the water anyway. So I'm like, give me 45 minutes to an hour more. And, you know, we'll pack her in and get the heck out of here. Or maybe it was about, you know, hour and 20, whatever the time frame was. It was the start of moon, you know, about 45 minutes either side of moon actual. And, and uh and boom we proceeded to move a couple more really really nice fish we did not boat one during the window but we had some come in really hot uh, just they just didn't want to convert they weren't quite ready it got flat calm and the water around was relatively clear they just kind of broke off at the boat and stuff but so for those fish it just didn't convert but still the, the very defined activity window of you know going into moon boom the fish decide to move again you see them come to the tail end of moon they shut off they're done 
wait till evening prime time comes along boom fish are getting caught fish are moving it's dark start over tomorrow or if you're gonna fish the night bite there's a pretty good night bite going right now too that's good to know i might have to take advantage of that this coming weekend i actually was able to that morning moon that you talked about so i had full plans to hit that morning moon this morning because i made it up north last night and got to fish for a little bit with my son and then we went out this morning and the plan was fully to hit that morning moon but I couldn't get his little hinder out of bed. I kept him up too late. He wanted to watch the quarterback on on YouTube. Oh yeah, that's so tough. We're watching a little YouTube last night. Next, and I was doing a little bit of work. And next thing I know, it's twelve thirty, and I'm like, "Hey kid, you got to get to bed." So uh, we missed that morning moon. We still did manage to put a fish in the net though, Jeff. So that oh, was nice. What'd you guys get today? I got like a I don't know. I'd say like mid uh, upper thirties. I didn't bump it. Like yeah, no, there's no need to bump it. Yeah, that was say like that. not to go on a rant about bump bumping things no, I'm, it's fine. I'm fully fine with people bumping whatever they feel like bumping but for me personally i don't do it i just i, I don't if it's got it's got to be you know it's got to be what i consider to be you know mid 40 ish in order for me to put it on a bump board or i have to be like hmm. Hmm, i'm curious to know how big this thing really is because you know sometimes you pull like you put it in the bag and you think hey that's a really nice fish and then you pull it out of the bag and you're like, whoa, this thing is really nice. And then those are the ones that I'm like, yeah, we'll put on a bump board. But again, I'm not going on a rant about bump, bumping fish. Like, you can do whatever you, you know, want to do. It's fine. You can do whatever you want. But I do think there's something to be said for, especially as it gets to be this time of year. You know, okay, it's first week of October. Water temps are more, you know what I mean? It, it, they're just a little bit more. Not that you're ever not careful with them. But, you know, be aware that you are in the peak of summer. Water temps are up there. Fish are, I mean, they're not dangerous or anything, but just, it is just that little extra bit harder on them. You don't need to bump every 32, 34, 36 inch fish. You know, get them out. If you're going to get a picture, get a quick picture. Just put them back and let them go. It's, it doesn't need to be a five minute, uh, a five minute process of, you know, it, it, you just, it just doesn't need to be that way. Make it quick, make it clean, take care of the fish so you can catch them again. Well, it's like the one that I had today. I mean, that thing choked a bulldog, like straight oh, down. Oh, and that's and I even went, that. Yeah, those are even worse. Yeah, yeah, the ones that do that, then it's a... Uh, man, I always cringe when I see those pictures. I, 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 I would take them if they got them T-bone and stuff, but man, I oof. when you see it, just the, the tail hanging out the gill, or uh, not just to pick, not just bulldogs, but any of that stuff where they're really engulfed, and it's like, oh, stop taking pictures and get that thing unhooked, you know? Yeah. <laughs> In this instance, I had my son with me. He he grabs a camera. I'm working on on that thing. So he's snapping some shots of it, and I'm going, man, it's a good thing we don't put this thing on a bump board because it's enough stress on it as as it is just trying yeah, to get that stupid bulldog out of it, you know? Oh, yeah. When they slurp them, they, again, that's that. Like, you, know, you talk about, did you get your fish within a moon window today, this afternoon? Moon? Did you catch it between, like, 12 and 2? No, I actually caught it. Like nine o'clock in the morning, nine thirty in the morning. So yeah, right before the clouds showed up, um, it was actually right after the clouds went away. Like for me, it was oh, like okay. flat, calm, sunny. I'm actually oh, it's gonna be weather change. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm all, wind switch weather change today. I'm out there going like, oh, this is not exactly the conditions that I'm looking for, <laughs> especially because my son's still trying to chase down his first casting muskie. So, you know, for me. I wasn't feeling super great about it. That's part of the reason why I wanted to hit that morning, you know, the morning window. But you know, when I when I fish with the kids or whatever, it's more about whatever they want to do. I don't want to make them all, you know, I don't want to make them get up and have them be all grumpy and whatever. Um, Agreed. You know, it was it's it's just a more of a laid back thing. I just started the morning out and I wasn't feeling super great about the weather, but 
you know, you you got to go with whatever the weather's dealt that day. Like if you can fish, you can, you go fishing, you deal with it. You try to adjust the best you can. That's why I was talking about, you know, clear water and sunny days. Like sometimes you're stuck on clear water and you, and you get sun, which I think, you know, we will actually, let me just ask you that question, Jeff. Like what would be your ideal musky weather day? I've asked for a few guides that what would be yours? Well, it really depends on what you get for a setup in the days leading up to it. You know, if you get a couple of days like today, you know, really stable, then obviously the setup of a storm or cool down. Um, you know, we're going to see coming in here, which is one of my favorite favorite windows of the year, that we all, almost always seem to get somewhere between about August 5th and August, like, you know, 18th, 15th. There's somewhere in that, like, you know, past the first week, but like before the third week of August kind of time frame. We always seem to get, at least especially up north and, and statewide, certainly it can be maybe even across the Muskie Range, depending on how I don't look at it. Certainly in Canada, it can happen too, but it's usually where it originates, in fact. But we'll get these cool downs, we'll get a cold front. And we've had some, I'm sure you remember back a number of years ago, maybe six, seven years ago. Now it's been a little bit, but where we get these, get those massive cold fronts in August, um, that can provide for some of the best muskie fishing that you can experience you know, especially in this part of the range. Now you go up to Canada, you know, northern Minnesota lakes where, you know, that summer is such a fleeting thing and those those cold fronts tend to push those fish off that structure and off that predominant bite, that shallow weeds or shallow rock, you know, wind-driven bite can get a lot tougher um, in those situations. And that's, you know, that's the, the norm that's been perpetuated certainly throughout, you know, all of our growing up in musky fishing because that's where every one of these, you know, famous guys fished was places that were, you know, Canada and other things, which because it made for great TV, it made for good stuff, but it's not really necessarily the case. Um, and I think it's been talked about more and more now, but I've, I've certainly been a big advocate of it for a number of years of, you know, taking advantage of those cold fronts and cold fronts in our area are excellent. All the more so the further south you go, you know, not, you know, southern Wisconsin, northern Illinois. Uh, any any of this stuff that's kind of more in that that hot water range where people are taking breaks periodically because things do get a little gross uh, and warm. And uh, this this uh, like I said that like not quite end of August, you're like not quite not right about the middle of August. You know that cold front that usually comes. Sometimes it's severe, sometimes it's not, but we always seem to get a cool down, or at least you know five out of six years, four to six years, whatever you want to say. But we always seem to get a significant cool down. And looking at the at the temperatures now, we look at we might, we're going to warm up for a little bit here, and then we'll dip back down. It doesn't have to be you know dropping down to highs of 62 or something, but just where it gets back to oh, it's a high of 75 for a week. Then you get the cooler nights, you get a little bit of that northerly air coming down. And again, you may not associate that with some of that better fishing, especially if it's not accompanied by a large amount of clouds and rain and your other typical kind of that juicy cold front activity. Or the things that I would you know you look at, you go oh they're moving today. Sometimes it really is just that little bit of a temperature drop there that does it for them. And there's, there's other things going on environmentally, certainly, but uh, it can cause a good push of fish to come up to some shallower weeds and, and really activate stuff like the top water and bucktail bite. Um, and of course, you know, big rubber, jerk baits, everything can be going, but it can really activate those baits that people are throwing very frequently uh, in a very meaningful way. And uh, it can produce some of the biggest bites of the year. You know, leading up to this, this we'll call it a day off or whatever it was. I worked until, I don't know, like 2 o'clock yesterday, let my wife handle it, and then my daughter handled things this morning while I was away. I actually thought we were going to get that cool off this week. I don't know if you paid much attention. We but- were supposed to, and I it looks like they keep changing it now, but it was kind of looking like, you know, we were going to have a day or two of, you know, warming back up and then supposed to drop off. But every time I change it, every time I seem to refresh it, it seems to be changing. So we'll see what we get. 
Um, but there is always, it does always seem to be kind of get those dog days of July, a hot first week of August. And then things, there always seems to be a little bit of a, a, a drop there, you know, whether it's extreme one, you know, high peak or low valley or vice versa, you know what I mean? Or, or moderate peak, moderate valley, you know, but we always seem to get something and you just kind of watch for it. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the August. Just watch for that cooling trend. We will get one. It will happen sooner or later here in the month of August. Um, whether it's massive and very obvious or something that's just uh, just part of that cooling trend. But a cooling trend in August is an excellent time to be on the water, I guess is maybe the, the better way to put it. But watch out for that severe one, too. Even when you look outside, oh, it's a cold front. There's a low of 48 tonight, and tomorrow it's a, you know, a high of, of 62. We've had some really severe ones there. Um, even dating back a couple of years ago to the NCMO, the National Championship Muskie Open up in the river, there was one where it was muggy, crazy, big storms Friday night. I think that was the year Hunter Matheson won it. You know, a pile of fish caught on Friday. I think he got all five of his on Friday um, and then didn't go to fish for Saturday and Sunday afterwards, and everybody else struggled too. I, we, I was on the water for all those days as well, not in the tournament, but it was a similar findings. And then the tournament came, and it would just, the bottom fell out. It was rain all day. It was really, really tough. Um, so in those cases, if you get, especially there, that, in that case, what I think shut it down, I've never really done well in an all day driving rain, you know, like cold, warm, otherwise those days tend to be pretty, pretty tough. Um, but if you're getting the intermittent rain, even when it is, like I said, a high of 65, 62, whatever the water temperatures, especially if you're coming off of a, of a pretty warm extended warming trend, um, that first two, three days, one, two, three days there can really be tremendous. Yeah, I have a friend of mine that's on vacation this week, and he was asking me last week. He's like, well, because initially it looked for, he's going to come up on Saturday, it looked rain on Sunday, which had been yesterday, and then it looked for rain today, and then it was cooler. <laughs> and I was, and he's like, you know, what what do you think is going to happen? And I'm like, I think it's actually going to be probably pretty good. I'm like, you know, it de- depending on how the front is, might be a little bit tough on Monday, but I'm like, after you get through and the thing stabilize, I'm like, that might be good, you know, get rid of some of the heat that we've been dealing with. Yeah, knock off, knock the top off of some of that heat, get it, especially if you get a mix of good wind in there, get everything kind of good and mixed and stable, and yeah, like I said, this time of year, the fish want to eat, it's in their nature, it's in their programming, um, it's just a lot of times it might be eating bigger baits than people are throwing um, for, the, for the average guy, that can be a factor, though, you know, don't be afraid to downsize if you're if you're struggling, certainly, but um, you know, now is the time of year to go for big baits and you will get big bites, especially if you're targeting those larger fish. And even in the tough days, those magnum bites tend to get magnum, magnum attention, even in a, a tough day, you know, throwing a bulldog in a situation like you described earlier, it's, exact, it's about the exact thing, exact thing you should be throwing, right? I mean, bulldog, a suic, some sort of a rip pause reaction strike bait, depending on the type of cover you're throwing at, certainly also, and you know, which is what the fish want, but very good options in those conditions and uh, don't be afraid to go bigger than you might be comfortable throwing, you know, provided that you can easily and effectively throw it. Certainly. You know, my son, he's 12 and he's not a very, right. Yeah. Not he a doesn't need to be cracking pounders. Right. Yeah. For no, sure. but he was still throwing around a 10 inch suic without a problem. And you know, like absolutely a lot of guys think that I shouldn't say guys, cause there's a lot of females that, that musky fish. So it's just I- instinctive to say guys, but general term. Yes, gen- yeah, right. Sure. But a lot of musky anglers, and seem to think that like if you're throwing a big bait that you're only going to catch big fish. Well, I no. watched something. <laughs> I watched a fish come up and try to eat my son's ten inch suet today, and I don't want to say it had no business at it, but it definitely was not a forty inch class fish. So just because you're throwing a large profile bait doesn't mean that you're you know. And if your your lake maybe only has 
you know, 40 inches in it. It's, you're still going to get, you could still get 35s on these smaller, on these bigger baits. I've seen it time and, and time oftentimes, again. And oftentimes it's what's going to be required to get the big bite. If that, if a big fish for that lake is 40 or 42 inches, well, then you should be probably throwing, I mean, I've had 32 inch fish absolutely maul a pounder bulldog. Okay. Like, I mean, just like trying to eat it whole head first. Like it just doesn't fit, of course. <laughs> But the muskie doesn't know that, and they like to try. Quite frankly, that um, instinct that they have doesn't go away when they get bigger. You know what I mean? And so, you know, if a 32, 34, 36 inches trying to eat a, a two-foot-plus-long, what is a pounder tip to tail, about 26 inches, you know, trying to eat something that's 24, 26 inches long, you know, it's 10 inches shorter than its body. Like, it might not know, oh, hey, this thing's only slightly smaller than my body. They just feel a large prey item coming through the water. They catch a peak of it. They catch a glimpse of it. A lot of times those hits are, you know, very sudden, very, very reaction strikey. You know, you're very, you know, which is what you're looking for, especially in a tougher day. That's why you throw those baits in many cases, at least, especially up by us, and especially if it's a covered-laden area. You're, you're looking for that shock value. You're looking for that big splash that attracts the active fish in the area or you drop it on its head and their instinct is like there's so many times where you're doing that and it might be the only bait that, bite that you get of the day but you know the bait hits the water and the fish has already got it in its mouth like you don't even have your reel engaged and you go to you know the fish has already got it you don't even know it yet but the fish is already on it like white on rice right and you click the drag you go pull you're like, oh geez you know there's one on here you know they are they coming about rip it out of your hand i mean i've seen just about everything you know watch watch people cast for muskies enough especially taking out a lot of folks who are relatively new to the sport you get to see a lot of uh <laughs> pretty interesting interactions between fish and people especially when you find that right fish yeah again to that point of the the big baits are nothing to shy away from and it's and it's something that's been proven over and over by you know really good tournament anglers you know even early in the season and stuff but certainly at this time of year all right, well, let's talk about this. One thing you mentioned was uh, a slow start to the blade bite. Has your blade bite picked up as summer's progressed? Because for me personally, and I've said this on, on, I think I said it on this podcast, and I was on another podcast recently, and I might have said it on there, I'm possibly the worst blade fisherman there was, <laughs> if it's possible. I don't know what I can do wrong, but I catch very few of them. So it's, I had my son in the boat, and you know, between me and him, one of us was throwing some sort of blades and I don't think we moved a single fish off blades. In fact, I'm positive we didn't. It was all on anything that started stop, suics and bulldogs. And have you found this year to be off for blades or am I the only one? No, part of it's going to just be where you're, you know, we get people listening to this from all over the place. Part of it's going to definitely be a regional thing, an area thing. You know, those Minnesota fish always seem to be kind of going on blades in one way, shape or form. Green Bay, it's always kind of a blade bite, right? I mean, other people catch fish and other stuff. Of course they do. But, like, you can never kind of go wrong. You know, the shield up in, you know, your Lake of the Woods throwing a bucktail, you pretty much know you're never in the wrong, right? It's going to get bit sooner or later. Um, but northern Wisconsin is a little bit of, I don't, I don't know if it's quite an anomaly in the way that our fish just don't seem to be, you know, as dumb on blades as maybe the right word. Like, they're just not as, they're just not as, trickable all the time on blades well there's always there's never a wrong time to throw a bucktail it's always a good put a bucktail on if i got three guys in the boat throwing baits 99 percent of the time with all with with a few exceptions depending on what kind of pattern i've got going one of the guys in the bay in the boat is probably throwing some sort of blades so that being said um our fish up north though do tend to be 
a little more blade shy versus your rip pause reaction strike. Part of it, I think, is pressure and uh, and a little bit of learning. You see that elsewhere too in really popular bodies of water. You know, maybe the Eagle Row chain, for example, up by us would be a good one. Um, you know, the Madison chain, certainly fish are caught on bucktails down there, but I think you do see an outsized bite on baits like medusas or tubes or, or anything in that rip pause just because of the simple volume of, of blades that these fish do encounter, you know, versus going to something like, uh, you know, a large body of water. You know, our, our large bodies of water in Wisconsin just aren't, aren't really that big comparatively, you know. You got Leech Lake, that's what, it's 101 or 110,000 acres in Minnesota. I mean, that's, that's a lot of water. I mean, that's more water than, more musky water than, or about as much water of muskies as Wales and Oneida counties combined. Um, so you got to figure that fish roaming around something that big, or Green Bay, for example, too. I mean, yeah, of course, the fish that got caught on bucktail yesterday or last week is probably not going to readily eat a bucktail again, but there's fish moving on and off those castle pieces of structure that people target, and you're going to have a fresh fish there, and when a fresh fish shows up and it wants to eat blades, well, I'll be the first to lend it. You know, I don't, if they're biting on blades, I really don't want to throw anything else just simply because of the hookup ratio, your boat conversion root factor going higher. Um, those types of things that, that, that translate to more fish in your net. If it's a high percentage game and if high percentage hookup bait, if they're going to eat it, I want them to eat it because that's going to make my job easier and me more effective. But again, getting back to your question, I, I, I would say that yes, this year, and that, that was kind of everywhere. It seemed like, and obviously there were people catching some fish on bucktails, but it really seemed to be pretty localized um, in our neck of the woods, you know, that northern Wisconsin area, you know, across the ceded territory, certainly. Uh, a few people, I mean, but, you know, you go to a, a lake that's a, a small lake and full of fish that are readily eating things. I mean, you can, you know, you can find anomalies. You can find outliers, certainly. Um, if you go to a really super action lake and catch a few fish on blades, well, okay, great. But by and large, no, I think the first out of the first 70 fish in the boat for the year, I think two of them were on a bucktail you know, in my boat and we threw plenty of blades. Like they just didn't, they just didn't want it. You know, it was a lot of rubber this year. It's one of the better rubber bites that we've had in quite a while on um, the last couple of years. I think like last year was, last year was the very opposite. Right? I think I had some stuff pop up as last year, the year before I want to say it was last year. I had some stuff popping up in my Facebook memories there, you know, it was right around this time frame, you know, number, number 80, number 85, number 90, something like that for the year. And it was still in my post. I just made a, it was my, maybe it was a story or something. It had just said in the caption that I had put in there, you know, how hot the single eight bite had been on the Marvin single eights, because we absolutely demolished fish on those that year. And, you know, we're conversely this year, I mean, again, it had nothing to do with brand of bucktail or type of bucktail. They just didn't want blades. I mean, you can see the fish, they come in, they just turn away. They don't, it didn't seem to matter too much. And then you put on something else and they were mauling it, you know, your rubber. Um, Suix to a lesser extent, but we also didn't throw them as much. We had some really good success on the SRJs again. That bait's always a, a go-to in my boat, especially, you know, when you're fishing heavy cover this time of year, you know, so stuff like that. But yeah, I would say by and large, the bucktail bite was was poor, but it, it has recovered. It's come along. Normally, you associate our bucktail bite flipping on with, say, about that third, fourth week of June in northern Wisconsin, we usually get a pretty good resurgence in that. But I think this year with the weed growth being a little behind and a lot of those fish just kind of staying adjacent to those weed structures a little longer than they normally do. Um, because a lot of the weeds just, just were kind of behind in development on a lot of the lakes. I think that played a role as well because, you know, you, you might be throwing bucktails at it, but if there's not a lot of fish in it, you're already, you're just, by de facto, you're, you're casting your bait at less opportunities. There's less mulls, so you're going to have less, less action. Well, Jeff, let's talk about one thing, Lynn. So 
I kind of look at like swim baits, whether it be the swimming dog or the Poseidon. I, I don't want, they're not bucktails obviously, but I kind of put them in that mm-hmm. straight bait, you know, straight retrieval bait. Yeah, certainly. Is that something that you employ very much? And have you seen success on that at all? Yeah. You know, the swimming dogs in Northern Wisconsin have really been, uh, that's really been a, a really popular one for quite a while, you know, prior to the, the swimming dogs and, and obviously the Poseidons, uh, are also excellent. Um, you know, you the Shadzilla mixed in there. And then, uh, you know, before even all those three came out, there was a pretty good, like, guys in the mill throwing swim bait bite up north. I think the first one, the first ones I ever picked up were because Nate Osfar told us, told me and some other people too, because that's what he had been catching some fish on. So he bought some. I mean, there's Castaics and Bass Harassers and a bunch of other stuff. And just, you know, other guys that kind of fish with some of the, you know, and guys like him and fish with other people who had been around a long time. And I'm not sure who had turn him on to it but i'm sure it was another one of those guys that just been around you know it's just, just kind of that word travels and that kind of inner circle of guys and you know you're like oh okay i don't know he says they work let's try it out you know you go out and throw it and have a 45 46 come up and inhale it up to the leader and you're like oh well, i guess they do eat these you know so it was one of those things that's always kind of been around and i'm and I'm, that's going back about 15 years already now to the first time we were you know picking up and throwing those and, and there were guys certainly doing it beforehand but the explosion of those paddle tail baits has certainly been warranted and they've, and they've been proven very effective at the really great customer bait. It's kind of like when we're throwing rubber, I think people make the assumption that and I would say the vast majority of people that, especially people who are only occasional musk anglers or, or just kind of know a little bit about the sport. They just assume that a guide, you know, oh, you just give somebody a bucktail and away you go. And quite honestly, a bucktail is one of the hardest things for people to fish. Uh, you'd think it would be easy cast out, turn handle reel back blade spinny musky bitey we got them you know it just doesn't work that way there's a lot more nuances to that especially if you're trying to convert both side fish and and that just getting the blades to spin sometimes even though we take it for granted because we've done it a billion times um you know for somebody who's never picked up a rod there's a lot more going on eye hand coordination wise there than than i than i think people give credit to and uh and those paddle tail baits can really fill a void there um, like I said, pick your poison. It does seem to be, you know, one lake, they seem to like the Poseidons a little better. One lake, they seem to like the swimming dog better. You know, you go to a place like Green Bay, the Poseidon has a super huge following out there. And you, you rarely see anybody throwing the swimming dogs, not because they don't work. And, in, you know, you don't see people throwing too much of them, but they're around. But for whatever reason, that Poseidon is just kind of it caught fish there and it's just kind of established there. And the same thing that you go out there and people say, well, they don't eat Medusas on the bay. They like bulldogs. It's like, well, okay. Of course, they, I'm using that as one example because it's so funny to me when I go to somewhere and somebody tells me that fish doesn't eat a Medusa. You know, I'm like, oh, really? You know, <laughs> okay. Yeah, all right, they'll eat a bulldog, but not a Medusa. Yeah, I don't believe that, not for a second. And I've proven that wrong on numerous occasions on that body of water in particular. But just it's funny how a local, you know, perception of a, of a type of bait where it's only this type of bait works here, only this type of bait works there. You know, it's just, it's just funny how, how things latch on. And I think a lot of it probably has to do with you know, you know, insert body of water here, insert better known guide lists here, your top five guides out there. Well, if they're more, you know, lean towards one company or another, and that's what they've had success with, and it's what they like to throw for whatever reason, you know, whether it's a tie to the company or just something they've had success on, they're going to have an outsized influence on that fishery. And so you might go somewhere and if it's a lot of guys that are, you know, you know, we'll use, we'll pick on innovations and chaos for, for example, just because they're two huge names, you know, so the guy that's out there and he throws a lot more bulldogs. He's a, he's more of a bulldog guy. You know, maybe in our circle, be, you know, Jensen, he's a big bulldog guy, right? Or a tube guy, whatever you want to say, but he maybe leans more towards that. Cause that's what he's used for longer. And you got the other guy on the other side of the coin where it's, 
you know, he, he might, he might lean more towards Medusa's. And so the people that go with him think, Oh, the Medusa's work better. It's really a mix of both. Quite honestly, I'd rather throw the opposite of what the, what the main pressure is, is using. If everybody's throwing bulldogs, I'd much rather throw Medusa. If everybody's throwing Medusa's, I'd rather throw a bulldog. If everybody's throwing a lot of both, I might want to throw a toad, you know, or, or a B2 or something different, you know, and it just really depends. Um, kind of a lot to unpack there, but just the long and the short of it is, uh, you know, it really just depends where you go, I guess. And uh, don't be afraid to try something different. So, okay, there there is a lot to unpack there, and I want to pack a little bit of it because I'm, I always talk about bulldogs on, on this show. And that's mainly because when I started musky fishing, there was no such thing as a Medusa. So you were talking about confidence baits. I have confidence in a bulldog, so therefore I'm going to stick with that. And I and because of it, I catch yes. a bunch of muskies on bulldogs because that's what I'm throwing, right? Self-fulfilling right. prophecy. If you don't ever throw a Medusa, Absolutely. you're never going to catch right. one on a Medusa. Would that same fish have crushed a Medusa? Good chance of it. You know what I mean? But at the same time, I've seen it go the other way. You know, it's, it was actually really... I mean, to cut you off there, but I think you touched on something that's really kind of cool. Like the way you started, you know, there, there was no Medusa yet. And, you know, when I started, there was no Medusa yet either. Bulldogs were kind of the, the gold standard and, and still in many ways are, I guess, as, you know, as one of the first baits of that nature to be, or the first bait of that type to be so prevalent and widely used. Well, with that, on a lot of our lakes in Northern Wisconsin being the size that they are, those fish got a pretty good deal of exposure on say a 200 acre lake if one dude's out there throwing a bulldog and cracking them up those fish in that 200 acre lake have seen a bulldog they know what it is um you know the medusas had come out i've been with those as well i'm on the third owner of that company i've been with them since jason summers uh, the guy who invented it owned it and then with rick albers and now with vince and joel uh, as it's as it's changed hands there and and we've thrown them since pretty much the very very beginning I mean, just shortly after they removed the top hook from the medusas if you've ever seen any of those i mean that's a long time ago so, you know, it's funny how all of a sudden that came out and you didn't really think it could be that much different. And it turns out it was, you know, it was a different, it had a different vibration. It had a different profile. And, you know, the Bulldogs were at the time getting a bit less um, simply because, in, you know, in certain lakes, certainly they're getting bit elsewhere. Of course, they're still catching plenty of fish and winning tournaments. But to go in in a place where those baits had not yet been used to a place where they might already be even exposed to rubber bites or even educated rubber pressure and you'd go in right behind and, and, and crack fish on them was was definitely a whole new learning process for those fish, right? It was just a whole new wave of this bait caught the hell out of fish. It was just different enough that they ate it with reckless abandon and then they learned and then they go, oh, well, maybe I, you know, they'll make the mistake less often. They'll still eat it. They'll still, you know, you'll still catch them. Medusas are still great. Bulldogs are still great. Everything's still great that has always caught fish, you know, but you see those transitions and you see those patterns. And even now, like I've seen, you know, bulldogs are really good in my boat this year. I caught a ton of fish on Medusas. I, I would be willing to say that I've caught, oh man, on just Medusas, I bet I've caught in my boat out of about 1,700 and some muskies, I bet half have been on Medusas and certainly more than half on rubber. I would say if I had to add it all up and really think about you know, being especially being so northern Wisconsin centric and so heavy up there, and I, I am a rubber guy. I throw a lot of rubber, but be it tubes or dogs or deuces, toads, whatever it is, we throw a lot of rubber. But I mean, Medusa's accounted for a lot of my fish, and so bulldogs. Um, but you know, this year we definitely had a resurgence where, like that bulldog, and I don't know that it was necessarily pressure related, but um, the bulldog was definitely this year and last year a very good producer in my boat. And then it's, some of it too, I think, for those is like an aggression thing where like, it seems like it's just a little bit more subtle with the single tail. Sometimes they don't want something as aggressive as the three tails. I do think there's something to be said for that. 
again, it's not a, a tribal like this bait, like this brand versus the other. It's just a, they fill a different niche. And in my opinion, I need to have a very good selection of both of those and several other rubber baits in my, in my boat to do my job. Well, you know, let's go down that road again, then we'll talk rubber. And I've said this recently, tubes have kind of exploded in the last four years. They've been around a long time. I've, I've fished with Jensen a lot. He's definitely a tube oh, guy yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's been fishing tubes forever, but you know, like, are, are you seeing, and are you employing tubes at much of an option? Yeah. Oh yeah. I threw some tubes. I, I threw less of them, um, in the last couple of years again, because kind of everybody started throwing them. Um, I used to run, I've, I've got a number of red October tubes and stuff there caught certainly plenty of fish in those. Um, I threw a lot of stuff, um, from Mike Nabilisi from Waterwolf, uh, the gator tubes, um, which came pre-rigged. You know, it's funny now to see a tip on, Oh, put a blade on the back of your tube. It's like, dude, I've got stock ones that are 12 years old that from Mike, you know, like that's how they came. That's what they are. And they're still available through him, but he's, I think he's Canadian. It's, well, it's Canadian. I know he's Canadian, but, um, when they stopped sending those to the States, they got really hard to find, um, unless you order them individually online. So. Um, some of that stuff, it's like, it's all kind of been done before and it was all really popular and, and especially those, I mean, they, they got a really nice profile to them. They're a little bit more slender than the October tubes. And they got a little different vibe to them. And, and quite frankly, to me, a tube with a blade on the back is a completely different bait than a tube without. So, uh, again, you know, the, making those modifications and throwing those things, like I said, people talk about it now and like, it's something new, but like you said, it's been around for a really long time. I caught my first fish on the tube in... It would have been 2010, fishing a, a tournament with a guy by the name of Andy Mann. Actually, it was kind of like, I, I had a tube, I think, in my box, maybe or maybe not. But no, I don't even know if I did. I don't think I even owned a tube at the time. But we were fishing a tournament, and he just had a white tube laying there. And I was like, you know, it was kind of getting down to the end of the day. We, we were so, I was certainly well-versed in throwing rubber at this point. We were throwing bulldogs. It was Medusa bite was starting to come on pretty hot about then. Starting to get the, that was starting to come around. And uh yeah, he had this big white ninja tube in there. I think it was a ninja tube. It was one. It was an old one. They don't make that same exact harness anymore. But anyway, long story short, there was a tube in there. We were fishing some mid-lake humps on the Three Lakes chain for the Muskie Summit tournament in the WMT. I was like, "Hey, man, you mind if I throw that?" He's like, "Yeah, go for it." Threw it for like 20 minutes, caught a 41, and I still remember to this day. Neil Barnett beat me by a half inch for big fish of the day <laughs> for the second day of that tournament, and like the biggest payout of a wmt of all time that was the 50 inch musky summit pool i forget what the prize money was for but it was a pretty big pot um but anyway uh the long and the short of it was i threw it there i was like wow okay that was pretty cool let's go buy a bunch of those and me and a couple of other guys in our circle there like oh, i caught a nice one on tube today and the bite was absolute garbage it was really a tough bite and maybe there's something to this so i bought a bunch of tubes caught a bunch of fish on them and um, those were various versions of red october tubes and then uh again started buying some of the ones with the blade on the back and so on and so forth you end up with a good variety but so the long answer to your short question is yes, I use tubes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like as throughout the course of this podcast, you know, I'm, I'm listening and this is something I go, I, I think about often during the course of a podcast or anytime you're like listening to a seminar is like, I often go like, man, there's so many different ways to catch these things. It's amazing that people catch any of them in a sense. You know what I mean? You're like, you're talking, right. hey, sometimes they want to eat tubes. Sometimes they want to eat uh, dogs. Sometimes they want to eat medusas. But if you're a single person out there trying to like figure it out, you know, with just just one angler, I can see how this is a very daunting task. So let me let me see if we can't try to simplify this for one this this may seem a little bit crazy but let's simplify it all right so you can pick like let's say you need to catch a muskie tomorrow 
I need you to pick a bait and I need you to pick a structure. Where are you going to go tomorrow to catch a muskie? Oh man, a muskie of any size? Yeah, I'm not. We're not chasing fifties. You want to? You want to get out there? You want to catch a muskie? What kind of structure are you looking at? And what bait are you going to be throwing? Right now, this time of year, me personally, like, is this like I need to just throw something to get bit, and the thirty-four incher is like, you know, gun to my head, need to catch it, or is it like I'm going fishing for myself tomorrow? I'm not necessarily fishing for a fifty, but like, I'm going to throw something sizable, throw something, you know, and get out there and get it done. 34 is fine. You want to catch a 34? Yeah. I'll let you catch a 32 for all I care. I still like 32. Yeah, you probably get those anyway, right? They're hungry right now. Right. So, yeah. I mean, historically speaking, oh, Vince is going to kill me for this. Oh, Rick will kill me for this. Uh, it's going to be a China Medusa on the deep weed edge. <laughs> so <laughs> there you go. It's been said. The China a... Medusa, a black China Medusa on the weed edge. There you have it. Right? I'm, just, I'm asking just you because to I simpl- know how many people. <laughs> oh, I'm yeah. asking you to uh, simplify you know, it, and you go and make it as complicated as you can by throwing a bait out there. You can't even, can't catch even one. buy. Yeah, exactly. Of course. Um, no, I just I couldn't resist. It. I couldn't resist that opportunity. That was such a softball for me that I just I couldn't <laughs> help it. Yep. Uh, so yeah. So aside from a China Medusa on the weed edge, um, no, I'd go with some sort of a mid-sized rubber. I mean, if you're if you're the average person going out right now, the rubber bite's been phenomenal all year. This is a time of year when the rubber bite even ramps up more in many cases. Again, several other good options out there. Your night bite, there's blades going, especially if you got good weather. All that being equal, the rubber bite this year has been phenomenal. You know, a, a regular bulldog, a toad, a medusa, something in there. And, and here's the key on that, too. Like, I know you asked me for like one to simplify, but I'm just going to simplify it even further. Use the one of those that you have the most confidence in. All right. I, there's another thing on the guiding side of things here. I get guys like, dude, they just got a garbage medusa presentation. Like, they don't, if not, they, you can't teach them something different. But you know what? That short little pop and hop that they keep wanting to do. God dang it, does a toad look good with that? You know what I mean? Like, if they're a different kind of bait. They're not made for that. You know, I mean, they're not made to be power ripped like a Medusa is, right? Like a Medusa, I want people cracking the living snot out of that thing, especially the bigger, the better. Um, you know, but if somebody's not doing that and they're doing little short pops and pulls, like I said, a toad is a great thing. And it's kind of a find the presentation that fits your fishing style best rather than trying to learn a whole new fishing style to use a different bait. So, Short answer again, pick the one of those, a mid-sized rubber bait that you have the confidence in. Go find your best mid-lake uh, weedy hump or wind-wash weed point uh, on your favorite uh, medium to large size lake and uh, have that or you're going to get bit. Make sure you're there at moon. Make sure you're there an hour or two before any scheduled weather changes, you know, any, any of the environmental stuff. But all things being equal, do those couple things, you're going to get bit. All right, I want to jump into five questions but before i do i want to ask you one thing let's say you raise a muskie we may have talked about this on the podcast i can't remember you raise a muskie how soon are you going to go back on that muskie before you know after you raise it like you're going to give it two hours you're going to give it 10 minutes what are you thinking so that's a tough one man you know so it depends where you are you know if you're on a body of water that's large not a lot of people around or an isolated area, you know, a lake of the woods, for example, uh, you know, maybe a green bay to a lesser extent, just because it's big. If you're away from crowds and stuff, just somewhere where you're, you know, a Eagle Lake, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, insert large body of water name here, somewhere where you can actually and reasonably rest that fish that may not be a super educated fish. You know, you, you just give them a little bit of time to, to restructure, go back where they're going and go back at your next window. 
I don't necessarily think it's a 10 minute game, a 15 minute game, a 45 minute game. Like, you know, perfect example, you know, you raise a fish, say it's two hours to dark, you get a hot follow two hours to dark. You're out of moon. There's no moon. There's you no know, moon's going to be an hour after dark. The last moon was two hours ago. You're just kind of in between things. You know, you're going to, you're going to go back at like that first, maybe not quite first dark where it's like, okay, we need headlamps on, but like right at sunset, as soon as the sun gets below the trees, you know, go back to that spot. You know, you give it a little time to, for that fish to set back up, especially if you saw him turn and go back. Um, but you know what? At the end of the day, I think people would be absolutely blown away to know how many times they move a fish and that fish is long gone. That thing, it comes in, it swims under the boat, out into the basin, never to be seen again. You know, going back to what we talked about earlier about how there's so much, so much of what you have been taught, I have been taught, everybody who's ever watched musky shows for the last 20 years have been taught. It's, it's so very concentrated on the summer peak in Canada because that's where all these guys were filming because it's easy. The fish are good size. It's where maybe their sponsors or lodges promoted. It's not a bad thing. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying you have to understand that that doesn't apply across the board. This is no different. The, the, the now, the, the, the mindset of, you know, you, Oh, I watched on TV and he said, Oh, you know, I got my throwback bait and I go right back on it or I go back in an hour or whatever. Yeah, because you're fishing Lake of the Woods and it's in the middle of nowhere and nobody is going to touch that fish. And the fish has probably never been caught in its life or maybe once last year or once five years ago. Of course, that stuff will work there. You're fishing Pewaukee Lake and you're going to rest the fish for two hours and go back on it. <laughs> Good luck, dude. It's not going to happen. That fish is long gone. Somebody else has fished the spot. You know what I mean? It's just, or the fish has played the game. He's seen, he's seen your bucktail a hundred times. He came in and goes, oh, yep, nope, not this again. Swam straight underneath the boat, turned off, went back around the outboard, drifted off into the basin. And now it's sitting either out there 50, 60, 100 yards off of that piece of structure, just floating in the abyss, doing absolutely nothing, not caring whatsoever. Or it's, you know, on a secondary or tertiary spot right down the way, a smaller hump that's way off the point or a little minor indentation in the weed line versus the main lake point where it was previously sitting. A lot of those fish, and again, I'm now talking more, I'm not saying I don't go back on a 36 incher, right? Unless it's a tournament, had a hot fish or something like that. But like, I'm talking like, you know, 40 to well over 40 plus inch specimens, right? You're talking about a quality fish that is worth going back on. Not to say anybody looking for their first muskie, you raise the 35 and go back on it. That's fine. But I'm saying from somebody who's fished a lot, I'm not going to waste my time in, in, in the way that I'm not going back on a 35 or 36 incher because I already know what that fish is. I'm not saying it's a waste of time to catch that fish. I'm saying that if I know that a window is opening, I want to spend it chasing a different fish. You know, and you know, there's something to be said for the last place you caught a muskie is the best place to go catch a muskie or the last place you saw a muskie is the best. It might, cause it might be a different fish. There could be 10 of them there for all you know. Um, so again, you have to take all those things in consideration. It's a really kind of a loaded question, but I think, like I said, by and large, I think people would be absolutely shocked to know how often that fish is no longer there. And I'll kind of quantify that with one other anecdotal story. You know, I've seen this already where I've had, you know, little, I call them like a, like a revolving door spot, kind of your carousel spots, you know, spots where fish are constantly moving in and out of the weeds. Um, you and I actually fished a spot like that uh, when we were filming. Uh, I had been out there the night earlier. Um, with my with my league partner and we had moved just an absolute ton of fish and we went back to the next day just because i i knew it was going to suck i knew the bite was over i knew the fish weren't going to eat i just but you don't really know you know but when you see that many fish come out of a out of an area you got to go back and check it i think you and i went back there uh and we moved like a 35 incher you know we fished it for like two hours morning moon was right away we went out there i was like we're gonna give it through morning moon 
if we don't see anything, and if we, you know, if it's marginal, we're going to be out of there. We're going to go hit like two or three or four more other lakes, depending on what our schedule allows. But you go back on those spots thinking those fish might still be there. And even if they are still there, they just shut down. You know, that might not be the perfect example of it, but maybe a better example would be, you know, you go along some of these spots and, you know, sitting down, watching my graph, watching these fish, you know, and, and watching my anglers as I go through a spot. I'm very seldom casting with my customers um, when I'm fishing in northern Wisconsin. I mean, periodically, certainly, you know, a day or two a week here, there, a trip or two a week. But I'm oftentimes just sitting there glued to a graph watching, you know, go through the side image. Oh, there's one right there. You go see, you know, see somebody follow. Oh, you get a follow. Okay, here comes a fish. And, you know, you come back through that spot at moon trying to do exactly what you just kind of asked about. And you don't see a single fish when you know that you, that those fish were there. And especially, like I said, the better you get with your electronics, you must be like, man, they should have been sitting there. Or if they're there, they're not poised to feed in the same way that they were when you first went through there. Um, meaning that they're, you know, basically think about like the caution lights are on. They're just kind of, they're kind of spooked. They're kind of aware. They're just, they're just not going to do it for you. Well, you know, so a lot of times you're better off, to go and spend that time like, oh, I moved a really nice fish off of this, but it was three feet behind. Didn't really want to do it. Didn't look like an interested fish. Now I want to go to another spot that tries to either mimic that or something else that I have going that I know is holding a lot of fish uh, or, or a good quality fish to try and take advantage of the fact that the fish in the system are moving rather than targeting all my time to catch that same, that same one fish that's already been kind of spooked. All right. Lots of information in this one as always, Jeff, but let's finish it off with five questions. I don't know if you've done this with me before. It's kind of a new deal. We've just been asking a couple random questions. They're sort of like, like more simple answers. We don't need to go down a five minute explanation. So let's start with uh, full moon or new moon. Which one are you going to choose? Mm, new moon. All right. How about big blades versus small blades? Mm, very seasonal dependent. You know, that's a tough one. I mean, I'll get it all. I don't know, smaller blades. I'll take a single eight, double eight, something like that. I mean, if, if you can only have one for the rest of your life, that's probably what I go with. All right. Well, then the next one's going to be, is it going to be single blades or double blades? Ooh, I don't know if that's an easy one or not. I don't know, man. That single eight, it'll get it done anywhere. If you can only have one, a single eight bucktail, that's single eight Marvin. There's a couple other options out there, but man, that single eight is big fish, little fish, everything in between. If you could only have one, I'll take the single eight. All right. Windy versus calm. Oh, wind. Yeah, definitely wind. All right. How about rocks versus weeds? Um, well, that's a tough one. Obviously, it depends where you are, you know. Scott's, I'm going to go with weeds. If I'm anywhere else, like shield or something like that, I'm going to go rock. I'm going to split it on you, Jeff. All right. Well, there you go. That's five questions. And Jeff, I want to thank you for uh, putting up with us and, uh, and coming out and talking with me. I know it's late. It's uh, for anybody that cares. It's 11 o'clock on a Monday night. And this episode will come out <laughs> on Wednesday. So, Hey, man, I've been up since 3.30 this morning. <laughs> I appreciate you guys dealing with my rambling, man. I uh, We went out. We did some fishing today. Ran a full-day guide trip. Was out in the water for a good 10-plus hours. Picked up the kiddos. Took my little guy out. Broke trout fishing this afternoon. Um, or this evening after that. Got back home here. Got all the kiddos to bed. And then uh, here I am on the phone with you. So... If I'm a little incoherent or a little babbly, I appreciate you guys uh, taking the time to listen and, and putting up with that as well. Thanks for having me, Jeff. You know, Jeff, I love talking to you. You're one of the few guys that can make me look like a slacker. Up since 3.30, still podcasting at 11 <laughs> o'clock at night. Hey, man, my alarm's set for five hours from now, four hours from now. I'm not even really good at math right now. Whatever time 3.30 is from now, four yeah. and a half hours. Yeah, so not be back at her again tomorrow. 
All right, <laughs> Jeff, if anybody's looking to get in touch with you to book a guide trip, whether it be if you maybe have an opening this season or next season, how do they go about doing that? Yeah, I'm, I'm currently full for this year. Um, and I begin booking for 2024. I'm full for everything uh, all the way up through ice fishing at this point for this year. Um, but I do begin booking for the 2024 season in October uh, of this year. So October of this year, I'll be booking for my dates for next year. You can reach me at 920-639-6286 uh, for everything from steelhead, walleyes, ice fishing, ducks, and muskies. Always good to talk with you, Jeff. Thank you very much for your time. And we want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in with us for another episode and we will be back with another one next Wednesday. <laughs>